At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Do you want to save money at the grocery store? Eat more organic, whole foods? Cultivate food security and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Pam Freeman to talk about chicken raising realities. Pam is the editor of both the Backyard Poultry and Countryside magazines. After she received four silver-laced wine and dot chicks from the Easter Bunny, her flock grew quickly and Pam launched pamsbackyardchickens.com. In the years that followed, she hand-raised chicks, nursed chicks and chickens back to health, and experienced the entire life cycle many times over. Pam is also the resident Ask the Expert columnist for Backyard Poultry Magazine and continues to write regular posts about chicken keeping and homesteading. In her spare time, Pam loves to hunt for antiques, bolster her life list as a lifelong bird watcher, plus tend her herb and perennial gardens that are set up to encourage local livestock such as bees, birds, and butterflies. Plus her latest book, is Backyard Chickens Beyond the Basics. Welcome to the show today, Pam. Hi, it's great to be here. Oh, and I'm always excited to talk about chickens. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? started out raising chickens because my family, we moved to the country. We own 13 acres on a hillside nice. uh, by the Ohio River. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's very pretty. And we have some land that we wanted to do something agricultural with. My husband had raised chickens when he was a child, and he recommended raising them. I can say I had no idea what that would entail. I had <laughs> never had a fresh egg before. Right. I did a lot of research, and then the Easter Bunny came, oh. and we had delivered us some baby chickens. They were four silver-laced Wyandots, as you read. And at that time, it was so funny because four was really a great starter number. Yes, it is. But everybody in my family, my mom had had chickens. You know, everybody around was like, oh, this is so great. But chickens can die so easily. So you need more. Mm. So <laughs> a couple days after getting the four Wyandots, I found myself at the <laughs> tractor store. <laughs> of course <laughs> you did. store. With my mother and my kids, and my husband was at work, and I told him, I said, my mom's taking me there. What do I do? And he's like, just get anything that looks really fun. So oh it looks gosh. different. <laughs> That's really bad advice to give to somebody <laughs> who's standing there with young children. Oh, yes. And they had just <laughs> they had just gotten in baby chicks that morning. So these were fresh, out of the carton, the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, it's you know, my kids were like, I want that, I want that. And we walked out with uh, 19 more. Oh. So <laughs> we jumped in very quickly. Uh-huh. And so we did have a, a big first flock, but I have to say I loved um, the variety of what we had. We had cochins and leggerns and barred rocks, and it was just really a great group of chickens to mm-hmm. start out with, and everybody truly enjoyed them, and it's grown from there. Nice. So. 19, so hold on, 19, so you ended up with 23 chicks. Yeah. You know what? I think I did the math wrong. We ended up with 19, so we must have Ah, brought home, we had four, so we must have brought home 15, yeah. Wow. That's that's still a lot for your first time. I was, I always encourage people to start with three or four. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a nice number. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. So. Well, and they were wrong. Everybody that gave me the advice that chickens die, can die very quickly. Of course. And suddenly they were wrong. All of mine lived. Right, of course. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I've raised hundreds of chicks and lost maybe one or two of them. As, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as long as you're feeding them and watering them and, you know, taking care of them. So what, what's some advice for somebody when they're just getting chicks? I Probably the most general piece of advice that I would give people is just pay attention to your chicks. Your chicks are going to tell you Mm. what they want. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they're all in their brooder and they're chirping, you know, they're squawking loudly and they seem very irritated, you know something's wrong. So just watch them, you know, watch their behavior. If they're all huddled on the other side of the brooder way away from, if you have like a heat lamp, Mm -hmm. then if they're all huddled way away from it, then they don't want to be over there. It's too hot. Uh, Same thing if they're all huddled underneath it and, and seem very cold. It's too cold. You know, watch your chicks. They'll tell you what, what they're thinking. They're not, they're not shy about that. Exactly. Exactly. So somebody's thinking about getting chicks. Yeah. What do you need? Well, first things first, uh-huh. immediately for the babies, you're going to need a brooder. Okay. And brooder, a brooder is just the place where you're raising these chicks that start out as tiny little fluff balls in your hand and are going to get bigger pretty quickly. Pretty quick, yes. So you want to make sure you have a nice-sized container where you can keep them. It also needs to be a container with some good ventilation. And I don't mean like a fan on it, ventilating the air, you know, just moving that air everywhere. I, what I really mean is... What I use, kind of like a, uh, I use like a big, 
Rubbermaid container, the mm-hmm. biggest one I can find. I take the lid off, and yep. so that obviously gives you that good ventilation. Right. And it's big so that the chickens can grow into that as they move along in their lives. Mm-hmm. You also need some chick starter feed and some water. You need the containers to give that to your chicks. So I, you know, I make it easy on myself. A lot of people say, "Hey, you don't really need this from the the uh, you know the farm stores." But I make it easy on myself. I go ahead and get the baby chick and water, feeder and water containers, the little ones that are red on the bottom or yellow, and then you just, they've got that yellow, or I'm sorry, they've got that plastic container at the top that you screw in. So I get two of those, one for food, one for water, and I put them in there. And then you have a choice when it comes to heat for the chicks because Mm -hmm. you're not... You're not a mama chick that has feathers all over, and the chicks aren't going to come get underneath you for warmth. So you need to provide that warmth. That's critical for them to be able to live. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple ways you can provide warmth. I started out using a heat lamp, and we would safely hang that over our brooder, and then as the chicks got older, raise the heat lamp so Mm -hmm. that because as they get older, they uh, are more resilient, so they don't need as much heat. So you raise it to lessen the heat in the brooder. That worked really well for all of my uh, new flocks that I started uh, in the brooder. Mm -hmm. But I have to say this last time that I got chicks, and a lot of them are actually featured in my book too, but the last time I got chicks, I bought something called a Brincia Eco Glow. It's a plate uh, table type of heater. And I don't know if you've seen that before, but it... Okay, the Brincia is yellow and it has kind of legs on the side that are black. And... You buy it according to the amount of chickens that you'll have, and you plug it in, and it's kind of a, it's a radiant heat, so it's a safe uh-huh. heat. You're not uh, right. you're not really under that fire concern that you have with that heat lamp. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I will tell you that was the biggest difference with my last group of chicks that I raised, and that I you know that I experienced. And I have to say, I was worried about it first because you plug it in, it doesn't feel hot, hot like if you've used the heat lamp before. You know, they can get pretty hot. But the Eco Glow really felt kind of just mildly warm. Mm-hmm. And at first, I have to say, when I put my baby chicks in there, they didn't go under it at first. And I was really worried because at that point, they were mad at me. They were getting a little cold. And, you know, I put them in their brooder <laughs> and they wanted some heat. Right. So I did actually put a heat lamp in with them at first. And then they kind of explored around a little bit, went under the Eco Glow. And then after that, I took the heat lamp away. I only had it in there for maybe an hour. Uh-huh. But it was enough to get them comfortable and used to it. And I will tell you, this last time I raised chicks, I, they spent very little time under that Eco Glow except at night. Mm-hmm. And they acted more like babies that are being raised by their mom. They ran all over the place. They were oh. out. And they just run under to get a little heat. And then they come back out. It was just phenomenal to see the difference. So I do have to say, if anyone wants to put that investment into their chicken keeping, I would recommend, there are different brands, but probably the uh-huh. most well-known is that Brincia Eco Glow, and I really did enjoy using that. If you use, if you don't use, if you use the Eco Glow, it takes care of monitoring the heat in your brooder. But if you use the heat lamp, you do want to have a chick safe thermometer in your brooder and you want to have it at the bottom of the brooder where the chicks are Mm -hmm. so that it's safe it monitors what is the temperature the chicks are experiencing not the temperature you're experiencing because you're over the brooder and out of the brooder Mm -hmm. so um, and that that will help you to monitor their temperature in there and and the reason we need the heat in there is because there's not a mom there to keep them warm right right no mom yeah if you're hand raising them yeah exactly so that's B-R-I-N-S-E-A, 
Brincia. Yeah. I'm looking at this yeah. heater. It looks really cool. Um, it is very cool. And it is, you know, it's a little expensive. I think mine was $70, yeah, I want to say. Yeah, I know the price probably like. changes very, you know, by uh, where you bought it mm-hmm. or buy it from. But I have to say, we probably made that up in using less electricity. Mm-hmm. We didn't mm-hmm. worry when we left the house. I can remember always having to worry yep. that, oh, gosh, I hope nothing happens with that heat lamp. And there are instances where people have had houses burned down. They've right. lost their, their chicks. I mean, it's just been really bad. And so this, I had no worries with it at all. Nice. It was it was a good experience, and I have to say one that I would recommend cool. to anybody that's starting out with raising chicks. Cool. So. Now we've got chicks, and they're yeah. how old before they get to go into a bigger coop? Well, you really have to, to look at that. I start, like I said, I start out with a Rubbermaid container, uh-huh. and I don't know. I, you know, you've uh, probably seen them. I, I get mine at Target, frankly. Yeah. It, they're, they're the ones sitting on the shelves, the longest one I can find. Mm-hmm. So they stay in there for a couple weeks, and then what I like to do, I don't know if you've seen – the puppy play pens that you can buy, they're uh, kind of meshy at the top, yep. but they have cloth at the bottom, and they're rounded, mm-hmm. and so they fold down, actually, so you can you know store them away easily. And the idea with it being for puppies is that you can take it in your car and then set it out anywhere right. and keep your puppies safe. They have a removable bottom, too. So I actually, before my chicks go outside, I have kind of an interim step, and that is I move them into one of those puppy play pens. It's bigger. Right. And so the, the chicks aren't quite ready to go outside. They still need a little of that heat from the, you know, either your heat lamp or your uh, Brincia. Mm-hmm. And then they stay in that for a little bit. So my chicks, I move them outside gradually. Chicks really, at about, it really depends on the weather where you are and the time of year you're raising them. Oh, yes. I can say that I've raised chicks. I've started raising them early, like when it's still winter, you know, in yes. March. Yep. And then at that point, even at six weeks, my chicks are fully feathered and pretty much able to rec- you know, regulate their heat. But at the same time, outside, you know, it's 30 degrees and snowing, so they're not going out then. Right. <laughs> so those are all considerations you have to take into when you are putting your chickens outside. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if you, like, say you get your chickens around Mother's Day, mm-hmm. you know, in May, or you get them in April, you can start taking them outside around three weeks old. And if the temperature stays at 70 or above with very little wind, they can go out at that, at that juncture, but only for little bits of time. And that's mm-hmm. what's kind of nice about those puppy play pens. I have two. So I have one that stays oh, in right. the garage. Yep where my chickens are taking their step from they were in the in the rubbermaid brooder inside my house mm-hmm. where it's all warm and nice and comfortable. Yep. Then I move them into the garage into that puppy playpen that's really big and can allow for their growth. I have a second puppy playpen that I put outside. Uh-huh. And if you don't have a puppy playpen for outside, you can just make something with some chicken wire. Mm-hmm. And I normally don't w- recommend chicken wire, but for something temporary that you're using for your baby chicks, you can do something that's really secure for them, and you can put them out there. But when they're young, at three weeks old, and the temperature's only, you know, it, hopefully more than 70 degrees outside, they really don't need to stay out that long. It's really just kind of a little adventure out to right. the outdoors. Exactly. They can't regulate themselves well, so you've got to stay with them. You've got to protect them. They mm-hmm. can't protect themselves. And you need to watch them. If the wind kicks up or anything like that, make sure you put, like, a box in there or something where they can get into it, get out and get out of the, 
the elements for a sec while you get everybody back inside. Right. So the first ventures outside are not, hey, guys, just run around my yard. The first adventure outside is you're going to be in the puppy playpen or in the little temporary enclosure that I've, I've built for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're just going to be here for a little bit to peck around and check out the grass and the dirt and the bugs and Got things it. like that. Got it. So, it, you know, it just – it really – but that – that juncture in time where you start putting them outside really does depend on what time of year you start raising your chicks. Yeah. Well, that, you know, here in Phoenix, we don't get that stuff, yeah. that, that white stuff that falls from the sky, you know, that I'm allergic to. <laughs> yeah, we don't get that here. So we actually, right. we actually uh, start our chicks in the fall here. Um, people then, do that here yeah. too. That's not unusual. Yeah. Some people really like to do that. And I understand because in the fall, if you start them out, sometimes you're starting out with those warmer temperatures. So you can get them out a little bit earlier too. Right. One thing I, I would interject there mm-hmm. is that if you're raising your chicks in the fall, know that your chickens probably will not start laying their eggs until the spring. I, I get a lot of questions from people who wonder, I got my chicks in the fall, but they haven't laid at all. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. mid January, and I'm not sure why that is. And the reason is they're maturing over the winter where there's very little daylight, and their laying cycle is dependent on that daylight. So you won't have them lay eggs until spring when the daylight hours are are much greater than the winter. Yeah. Well, and how long does it take to go from chick to uh, hen laying eggs? They can can lay eggs at around 21 weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but it really depends on the breed. It depends oh, yeah. on, you know, some of your bigger breeds. Like I have buff Brahmas in my flock right now, mm-hmm. and they take a little bit longer to mature. Some of your sex links are going to lay a little earlier, more on the timeline that's in a book, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then everywhere in between. And it also depends, too, are you, are you giving them enough nutrition? How mm-hmm. healthy are they? Do they right. get good water, you know, fresh water every day? So that 21 weeks is kind of, it's a generality, but you'll see a lot of variance in between that. Yeah. Let's talk about feed here for a moment and, and yeah. you know, address that. Because when a chick is growing, they need a different feed than they do when they're laying, correct? Right. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about that. You start off with a starter feed for your chicks. And a starter feed, you really, there's a there's really one big choice with a starter feed that you have to make. Mm -hmm. And that is, do you buy a medicated starter feed or a non-medicated starter feed? (laughs) That really depends. There are a lot, there's kind of a lot of controversy that goes along with that. A lot of people have very strong opinions about medicated versus non-medicated feed. Right. What it is, is that chicken, baby chicks, and it's just like a baby human in that regard, their immune systems are really start are, are maturing. So right. they don't have an immune system that can fight off everything out there because it's really never been exposed to everything out there. Now, one of the big diseases that baby chicks can get is coccidiosis. It's a pretty big killer of baby chicks. Mm-hmm. So a medicated starter feed is aimed at reducing the amount of exposure to coccidiosis so the babies can wait until their uh, immune systems are mature enough to handle that. So what happens is a good rule of thumb is if you have your chicks vaccinated before you get them, Uh you can choose to get them vaccinated for coccidiosis. If you get Uh them vaccinated, then you don't need to feed them a medicated starter feed. 
if you don't get them vaccinated, then a good rule of thumb is to use that medicated starter feed. Now, people do wonder, does that mean that my chickens are getting an antibiotic? It does not. It's not an antibiotic in that food. Uh And so other people say, you know, it's not organic. It, It really has nothing to do with that. It has to do with helping their immune systems handle what what's out there in the environment. Coccidiosis is mm-hmm. quite a big killer for mm-hmm. them. If you choose to start with medicated starter feed, then you need to feed that the whole way through. It's not something you can, you know, I'll right. just feed for a couple weeks and then I'll, I'll get rid of it and feed the other kind. You really want to keep it the whole entire way through until they move into layer feed. And that would be at about 16 to 18 weeks old. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I've never used a medicated feed. In fact, Honestly, I never knew it was available until we started this conversation. What, oh. what, what we've done here at the Urban Farm is we actually just feed them a probiotic that we get at the feed store. Okay, okay. You know, some people, there are a lot of different philosophies this. Mm-hmm. And, and working with the magazine, I do hear all the different oh, I'm sure. philosophies that people have. So some people just start straight out with a medicated feed if their chickens are not vaccinated. Others vaccinated and, and, and never worry about it again. Then you hear people like you give your chickens probiotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people will take dirt from the backyard mm-hmm. and put clumps into their brooders yep. and then let the babies you know, pack around on that clump of dirt, exposing them to small amounts at, at a time. So it's it's kind of that vaccine theory where you just, you're exposing small amounts, they build up their immunity. Yeah. Uh, I know when I started raising chicks, people said, hey, as long as you keep your brooder clean, you don't have to worry about it. You know, it's it's really a personal opinion. It's yeah. where you feel most comfortable. comfortable. Yeah. The, the, it, the, the amprolium, which is the medication that's in that starter feed, it's a coccidiostat, and it reduces the growth of the coccidia oocyst. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a long thing to say, a long word to say there. But what it really does, it just keeps your vulnerable chicks. It keeps their immune systems from being overwhelmed by coccidiosis if they're exposed to it. Other people, you know, they figure, hey, if my chicks get it, then I'll treat for it. If right. not, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, it. There's really probably no right or wrong there. It's really what you choose. But when you go to the store the first time and you pick out your chicks, Uh you're going to be presented with two types of starter feed. They're medicated or not. And it's good to know why or why not you're picking or not picking something at the store. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So as the chicks age and, you know, they're they're at 20 or 22 weeks and we're feeding them a, a layer feed now, right? Yeah, you want to start feeding layer feed at about 16 to 18 weeks because Uh, at that point their bodies are really – they can actually start laying eggs that early. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, at that point their bodies are transitioning over to their egg-making duties. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess that's an easy way to say that and moving into their egg-laying cycles. So you, they need less protein, which is really what helps them with their growth, and they need more calcium, assuming we're talking about hens here. Yes. They need more calcium to support those healthy eggs. And so that's, you want to start that layer feed then so they've got that in their system as their each individual laying cycle starts. Perfect. Um, there are a lot of choices, too, with layer feed. Now, mm-hmm. I should say there is kind of, some, some feed companies have kind of a middle step there, too, so they go from starter to grower and then to layer. Oh, yes, I've but, seen that. But uh, you really kind of that, – that's where just stopping in the farm store and really understanding what you're looking at is important because 
it is kind of hard. What I'm saying with starter to layer feed, those are your big companies that pretty pretty much everybody knows and sees when they're at their farm store. Right. There are smaller companies in the feed area that are just as good, but you, some of their labeling is a little different. So you need to just make sure of what, you know, stand there and read your labels so you know what you're buying. But as a rule of thumb, at 16 to 18 weeks, you move to the layer feed. And at that point, you can pick whether you want pellets or crumbles. I will say my chickens will not eat pellets at all. Oh, interesting. I put them out there and... They won't do it, yeah. but they love the crumbles. I don't know. Are yours the same way? Yeah, pretty much. They, they, According to Heidi, they don't really like the pellets at all. Yeah, you know, the only pellets that I feed my chickens, there is a feed out there for when, and this is getting a little ahead of the life cycle here, That's quite right. a bit ahead, but chickens molt in the fall, adult yes. chickens molt yes. in the fall as on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. And when they're molting, they lose all their feathers and they've got to regrow their feathers. Yep. They need more protein, protein. then. Yeah. So there are feeds out there that cater to that. And there's one I particularly like that is in pellets. So I, I do try to hide that in the crumbles, and they do <laughs> tend to eat that pellet a little more. But if I give them any other pellets, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> they just won't eat at all. Interesting. Uh, proponents of pellets say that it reduces fee, uh, the waste around waste. the feeder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I tend to find that my chickens eat it all, at, you know, if it falls on the ground or not. So right. I, don't, I don't experience a lot of feed waste. Mm-hmm. Where I do experience a lot of feed waste is with those chicks and the brooders. So oh, when you gosh. give them yep. their feed, they like to take and they scratch out of that feed and it goes everywhere in the brooder. So what I tell people to do is take a little, uh, like a paver brick, you know, that you would use for a patio. Oh, yes. Uh, maybe I, I have some that are maybe like an inch thick. And I have a few of them. And so as the babies get older then, and, and taller, <laughs> uh-huh. then I put the, the pavers underneath their feeders to raise it up a little and reduce mm. the amount that they're kicking out of yeah. those baby feeders. Yeah. But for my adults, they get the crumbles in their feeders in the, the uh, coop. Perfect. You know what I found the best thing to do is to find a farm store near you and make friends. Because, you know, Western Ranchman is the one that we use, and they've been here since 1964. That's decades ago that they've been here, and they know what they're talking about. So, you know, find a for- farm store near you and make friends with them. They'll, they'll guide you along the way. They will. They will. And, and you know, you, you can say that the smaller ones are better for that, but mm-hmm. really, honestly, I've been to some of the bigger chain ones, too. And if you could find a person there that's yeah. used to working in the poultry section, mm-hmm. they're usually really helpful with that type of thing. Yeah. So no matter where you're shopping, you usually can find somebody there in the store that is working that, you know, that can help you with your questions. Right. Right, exactly. Also, you know, the Internet's out there. And mm-hmm. so if you're thinking about a feed, or even if you're standing right there at the, the feed store and you're trying to buy your food, Google it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, I've, I've done it myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've been talking now for about 15 minutes, and, and this whole notion of raising chicks can seem a little bit overwhelming and complicated. But what I've experienced, I've been raising chicks since 1999 and it's really not that difficult have you found that to be the case i would agree i I would say that getting them raised up to adulthood Mm -hmm. is probably the easiest part of it and then it's the years that follow where things can happen where people tend to have questions yeah yeah and then 
you know, there's the internet, there's urbanfarm.org, there's... Countrysidenetwork.com, yes. And there's... For backyard poultry. And pamsbackyardchickens.com as well. Yes, yes. (laughs) So there's lots of resources out there to get your chickens raised. And I really encourage people to, you know, get three or four chicks and, and, you know, learn the process because it's fun and you get to profit by getting eggs, huh? Yes. <laughs> you know, a lot of people ask me about that. They say, is it cheaper for you to raise your own, you know, chickens for eggs uh-huh. than it is to buy your eggs in the grocery store? And I tell them, probably not, but it's certainly more fun, and you learn a lot more along yeah. the way, and your eggs are much more tasty. Much more tasty and much better for you because you know what's going yeah. in them. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah. There is that comfort in knowing. Exactly. So tell me about your book, Backyard Chickens Beyond the Basics. Yes. It's kind of a breakthrough book in the world of chickens. You and I have been talking a lot about basics in Uh chicken raising, which is really the basic books are all out there, and Mm -hmm. they all have one thing in common, which is, hey, you're getting these chicks, and here's what you do with them to get them to adulthood. And like I said before, really – it's the years that follow that that can be can give you some questions, mm-hmm. and even the adulthood phase of things that really is not covered a lot out there. And I'm an, the editor of Backyard Poultry Magazine, but in the magazine I also am an Ask the Expert. So for a lot of years, when I wasn't the editor, I was also I was still answering questions for people because you know, we get a lot of people writing in and just having all kinds of life questions about their chickens. Right. And what I noticed through answering those questions was that while each question in each situation might be a little different, there were themes that went along with the question. Oh, questions. yes, of course. And so I started thinking, yeah, I started thinking to myself, these themes are coming up over and over again, and nobody's writing about them in the chicken books. And that's where the impetus for my book came in. It's really just all those, the whole menagerie of questions that people Uh have as they're raising their chickens from adding new chickens to chicken health to just all the things that happen, behaviors, all of that. How do you, uh, you know, it's really all in there Mm -hmm. and it's based on my experience and answering these questions for a number of years and seeing that basic thread running through the questions. So what kinds of threads are we talking about? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, you know, the chapters in the uh, book actually do kind of outline those those questions. So, you know, it's all well and good when you and I talk about, oh, so start out with four chicks and then raise them up and get them out to the ch- coop and mm-hmm. get your eggs. And that's great. But that invariably adds to the next season when you're like, hey, I might add a couple more chicks. So oh, I like that mm. breed out there. I might want to add them. And then that starts all over again. It's fine with the brooder until it becomes time to add those chicks, like bring everybody together into one flock. And that's where the questions start. All right, exactly. (laughs) So how do you you expand your flock Mm. and make everybody become one flock? Because obviously you do not want a coop in your backyard for every set of chicks (laughs) that you hand raise. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then that obviously turns to all kinds of questions that people have about the pecking order with chickens and, and how do you integrate them and make it all work together and understanding all of that. Also, something that a lot of people don't talk about, but it's really important, is having a rooster in your flock. You know, if you go to the store and you're starting out, Uh you're getting your four 
chickens, you're probably getting pullets, which are female chickens, and you're getting them for their eggs. Now, hatcheries are really good with sexing their chickens, but they're not perfect. So there's about a 10% chance that you could end up with a rooster. Uh Plus, you know, if you're at, I always tell people this, and this is how I ended up with my rooster, but, you know, if you're at the, the farm store and you're looking down at all those bins of chickens, Everybody is very well-meaning, the employees and everybody standing there, but it's very easy. So if you're standing there at the, at the, the tr- farm store and you see two bins uh-huh. of Buff Orpingtons, which all look alike, one's marked pullets, which are the female uh, chickens, and uh-huh. then one is as is, as hatched, uh-huh. which can have males and females in it, it's mm-hmm. very easy to take one of those female or one of the male Buff Orpingtons and accidentally set it down in the other container. Got and it. there's no way that you as a consumer would ever know that that, got, that chicken got placed into that bin right. wrongly. So then you go, you buy it, and then you get home, and a few weeks later you have a surprise. So a lot of people don't talk about roosters, but along the way and through the years, you can end up with roosters. So mm-hmm. I do have a chapter in my book about roosters because there are a lot of questions people have about oh, them. Yeah. There are tons of questions people have about eggs because – You know, people are so conditioned to going into the grocery store and opening that box of eggs, and they all look so perfect. Mm -hmm. And then when they start raising their chickens, they're like, oh, my goodness, my egg has wrinkles, or it's soft-shelled, or it's not very big. You know, they don't know why... Why is that happening? And it is very normal, uh-huh. but it's, it be, you know, people, none of the 101 books, the very basic books, talk, talk about, about that, that, and that does yeah. happen. There is obviously the health. There are predators. A mm. lot of people don't think about the predators in the beginning, but that's something that you will face out there because, face it, you're putting in your yard an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord out there for right, <laughs> everything exactly. that's around and exactly. working very hard to get their own meal. Yeah. Again, we talked about feeding your chickens, but that's in there. That is one of the top type of questions that that I get about, mm-hmm. feed, you know, people really want to understand how to feed their chickens correctly. Yeah. And also the seasons, it, you know, you're starting out maybe in the fall or in the spring, but what happens in the winter? What, what, is it too cold? Is it not? All these things are addressed in my, my book because they are all very common themes that I found that ran through those Ask the Expert questions. Perfect. Perfect. I do want to do a shout out. Our episode on April 27th of this year, 2017, with Jan Doner on Predators on Your Urban Farm. And she was, uh, that was a really good episode on, you know, what to do about predators and protecting your coop from predators. So I invite everybody to go listen to that one. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Well, I think, you know, you actually kind of segged very nicely into that. Probably my my biggest failure in the beginning was underestimating domestic predators. Mm. You know, we hear a lot about raccoons yep. and foxes and owls and hawks, and, and those are all legitimate predators for chickens and things that you need to, to address. But I did not realize that domestic dogs could oh. or would be a problem. Like I said, we live mm-hmm. in the country, so we don't get really a lot of random dogs or anything like that right. around our home. We do have a dog in our house, and uh, she does get along very well with the chickens. 
But I will tell you what happened to me in the beginning. We, that first flock of 19 had just started laying, uh-huh. and we were all thrilled about it. Every day, you know, we were getting new eggs and uh-huh. eating them, and my husband came home from work one day, and I was inside with the kids working after school and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, with kids in the house, it can get kind of loud, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I did not hear what happened outside. And I, I had this routine where in the afternoon, I would, the kids would come home, and they'd be doing stuff, and a lot of times they'd go out with me. But this day, I went out, and I remember very vividly feeding my flock because they'd all come over. I'd talk to them. I'd give them yep. all a treat and everything. And then I'd go back inside with the kids or the kids, and I would go back inside. And, and that would be, you know, we'd go out in a few more hours. And my, my flock free ranges within a fenced area. It is a very big fenced area because we have a lot of acreage. Mm-hmm. So my husband came home, and he walked in the door, and he was like, Pam, why is there a chicken dead on the driveway? Oh, my gosh. I was like what are you, what are you saying? So I put on my shoes really quick and I walked out and I don't know how he noticed it, but right in front of our stoop door, my kid's favorite chicken was torn to pieces. And I was like, you know, when you see those movies, those Mm -hmm. horror movies and people are like just walking around in a daze and, (laughs) and you wonder why are you acting like that? But it, it dazed me. I, I, it was like, Oh my gosh, this chicken is pulled apart in front of my door and I walked around the house to the driveway to see what my husband meant. And yes, there was a white legger laying dead on my driveway. Uh-huh. And as I walked then around the back of the house and I walked to where the chicken yard is, it, it was really like a movie. I just saw this dog come flying out. It had one of my New Hampshire's in its mouth. I started Aww. screaming. It wouldn't drop it. It was terrible. And then I just was screaming even more because my yard was just, there were chickens strewn all mm. over it. And I'm screaming. My husband opens the window out the, out the kitchen window, which looks out over the, the uh, chicken yard. He's like, what's happening? And he could see him. My kids were right there next to him. And I, you know, in hindsight, we would have protected them and not let them see it, but we didn't know. It was all unfolding as, yeah, <laughs> in real time. Right. It turns out that even though our, our yard was fenced, and to this day I don't know how they got in, but it turns out they were neighborhood dogs that were left to roam that had somehow gotten into our chicken area. Mm-hmm. And this is what's really bad about roaming dogs. They don't kill like a predator. It needs the food. It right. has to work hard for it. And you can kind of understand that, right? Mm -hmm. But a domestic dog, they're just coming in, or a feral dog even, they're coming in and they think it's fun. These things are running all over the yard and Mm -hmm. just kill them. It's great fun. And so it ended up that the dogs actually ran down the street to a neighbor's house, started attacking their dog. That neighbor had a gun, and that was the end of these dogs. Mm. But for us, we lost 10 of our chickens that day. And it was just devastating to us. And I always tell people... You know, if you think you live in a neighborhood, because so many people have mm-hmm. chickens in urban areas. Yep. And, um, you know, if you think you live in a neighborhood and you're safe somehow from predators, think about all the dogs that are running around in your neighborhood or yeah. who get out. And those, it is said that, that is actually the number one predator of chickens yep. is domestic dogs yep. that, have, that run. So that was probably my greatest failure in mm. just underestimating how fast a predator attack can happen, and that it doesn't always come from your wild animals that are out there. Right. So we have to protect our chickens. Absolutely, we have to protect our chickens, yes. You do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so sorry about that. I know we, we lost 10, <laughs> 10 hens to bobcats last summer. So. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I, as you were sharing about 
the moments that it, as it was happening. I I revisited our visit to our backyard with ten. We had ten dead hens as well. So, but now was we, that every every hen you had, or it, was that just some of the flock? It was every hen that we had of the new ones. Yes. Oh no! Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Exactly. That's devastating. So, and so now we have that's a, unusual a bobcat. Well, well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> For us, that would be a little unusual. We don't not, have as, that many of them. Yeah. Now we've had we've got bobcats and raccoons and coyotes and mm. hawks in the area and i live in the literally in the middle of the sixth biggest city in the country and so yeah. so we have a super coop now that uh yes. keeps them <laughs> keeps them totally protected so what do you consider your biggest success you know my biggest success i'm gonna have to say is really on a personal professional level uh-huh. it's really been the the ability uh, that I've had to take my love of chicken keeping uh-huh. and weave that into my career, which was really, a, I have a degree in journalism. And so weave that in. And that's been a great pleasure for me and probably my greatest success with it. And I'm going to call that, I'm always looking for epic. I'm going to call that epic. That is extraordinary that you've been able to do that. So good on you. You know, I didn't intend to. <laughs> yeah, well. It just all kind of unfolded one thing after another. And it's really, I love what I do. Uh-huh. Um, and it, on both sides, on the chicken keeping and on the editor side and the yeah. writing side, I love it. So it, it's really very fulfilling for me. I'll tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't. So what drives you? I love to, I love animals. Mm-hmm. I have always loved animals. Birds have been a favorite of mine. I said I didn't intend to raise chickens, but as a kid, I did have pet birds and uh-huh. loved them. I worked at my local zoo. I was a naturalist. I've always loved animals, and I, I do really well with them. So I love raising the animals, and I love sharing my experiences mm. with people in the hopes that they'll learn something from it or get something from it. So that's really what drives me. Yeah. It's just that love of the animals and, and sharing it, my experiences. Awesome. So a book that has been transformational in your life? <laughs> I can't say that anyone I, – I, obviously, you don't want to hear about all the fiction books I've read. I'm a big <laughs> reader. <laughs> Good. But in the, chicken, <laughs> in the chicken keeping world, I can't say that any one book influenced my chicken keeping. Mm-hmm. I can remember – going to our farm store with our when we were you know just getting started in chicken keeping and I can actually remember picking up backyard poultry each time we went mm. and reading that and enjoying the magazine so it's kind of weird yeah. it all came full circle <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> the internet was influential to me mm, right. right now there are so many great sites out there that people can use the one that I used in the very beginning religiously and I still do is my pet chicken I really enjoyed that website beyond backyard poultry website that was definitely a very mm. influential website for me mm-hmm. now i will say though i do have a library of chicken books i love <laughs> to read them and i you know as we sit here and talk my my library is right next to my desk because i refer to many many chicken books and i would say sitting there the books that i i use the most often there's a building chicken coops for dummies book Oh, nice. that my husband used a lot when we uh-huh. were uh, building our coop. I can say that book's probably the most tattered because it actually came outside with us a lot right? <laughs> as construction projects were going on. Gail Damero's uh, stories oh. guide to raising chickens yep. and her chicken encyclopedia. I've read those 
so many times. Chicken Health for Dummies, that's a really excellent book. Um, Fresh Eggs Daily, Duck Eggs Daily, love those oh, books from Lisa Steele. Lisa those are just a all job. a variety of the books that are on my shelf that yeah. I refer to. Story has a great, also an illustrated guide to chicken breeds, and the mm-hmm. American Poultry Association has the wonderful Breed Standard book. All those books are books that I refer to daily in my work and in my own chicken keeping. Nice, nice, nice. And if you want to, for those of you listening, if you want to go back to April 20th of 2017, we actually had Lisa on the show. And okay. that was nice. Yeah. So Lisa writes with me with me for Backyard Poultry. Oh, so. does she? Oh, very She's a good. great resource. Yes, she is an amazing resource. So what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners? I would say be flexible. We just talked about chicken uh, books, magazines, mm-hmm. websites. Your chickens didn't have, didn't write any of those. <laughs> and so they are not going to follow the book. So when the Chicken Coops for Dummies book says you need X amount of nest boxes for your chickens and they're all laying in one <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's the most popular nest box in the coop, hey, they didn't write the book. Right, um, exactly. When you're... <laughs> when you it, be flexible too, because as your coop expands and your chicken keeping repertoire expands, you may need to expand your coop or build another mm-hmm. coop or, you know, there are lots of things that happen along your chicken keeping experience. So be flexible on your side too. And, you know, I, you know it's the same thing too. I think about my chickens and dust baths. You give them all oh, a dust yes. bath, build it for them, and then they run out in the yard and and make a dust bath and a mess underneath your own big bush so <laughs> that you really love and you're trying to protect in your garden. Right. So exactly. I would say just be flexible because your chicken keeping journey is going to evolve. Your chickens aren't going to do everything that's in the book, and you just need to enjoy it because it's a fun journey along the way. Oh, beautifully said. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Pam. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So... Uh, this is where I always ask, how can we get a hold of you? But I, I want to expand this a little bit with you because you've got two really cool magazines that you're the editor for, Backyard Poultry and Countryside Magazine. So I want you to tell us a little bit about each of those. Just take a minute each and tell us about those. Backyard Poultry uh, Magazine speaks for itself. It's obviously all about poultry, not mm-hmm. just chickens, but ducks, turkeys, geese, uh, all those uh, pigeons. All types of poultry are featured in the magazine, and so it's a really great resource for readers and anyone who's raising any of those types of birds. Countryside Magazine, it is for people who are really interested in homesteading and also in just being aware of where their food is coming from, uh, who like to garden, raise their own livestock. You can. You don't have to have all of those interests to enjoy the magazine. Just a few of some of that. Those interests really uh, make a magazine a countryside mm-hmm. magazine reader. I can say in our last issue, uh, we had a whole spread on uh, how to make cheese. <laughs> so different oh. types of cheese. There's all kinds of different. Uh, there's something for everybody in Countryside Magazine. I find it to be a very interesting magazine, mm-hmm. and there are always we always do have a poultry feature in there as well. So uh, they're both great magazines, and I'm really privileged to edit them and work with the with our readers. It's a it's a great community. Excellent. So where do we find Backyard Poultry Magazine at? Backyard Poultry and Countryside Magazine are both housed at a website called countrysidenetwork.com. Oh, perfect. Perfect. I also write a lot for the magazines and the Mm -hmm. the website. Our website changes daily, so you'll find five great news stories up there every day. 
so that's really where you can get in touch with the magazines very easily. Perfect. Perfect. And getting a hold of you. Getting a hold of me, I'm at pamsbackyardchickens.com. That's probably the best way to connect with me. Perfect. I have a Facebook page and an Instagram page mm-hmm. that support that. So Perfect. you can find those pretty easily. And I, I love people to come join me on my journey. Perfect. And you can also check out Pam's newest book, Backyard Chickens Beyond the Basics. You can also find notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Pam's Chickens. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.